Amen. Well, we are uh, continuing our series just called A Thrill of Hope. Uh, we have been kind of going together uh, with our Advent devotional that you uh, had an opportunity to pick up out there. Uh, I don't think we have any left, but we do have, uh, just in case you're interested, uh, a Bible reading plan for Advent. Uh, I know we're pretty close now. We're on day uh, 14 here, so um, <clears throat> 15, day 15 today of Advent. And so, uh, but there is a reading plan out there for you. If you'd like to grab it on your way out, you can join us as we just go through Scripture during Advent. Uh, but we are kind of going through together, uh, through our devotional, through our kids' devotional on the weekends, and just kind of diving into to hope. What does it look like to hope? What, is, what does hope mean during this season? And so we started out this series talking about the anticipation of hope, how hope comes with, with this anticipation. We went back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8 and 9, and talked about this Messiah that was to come, that is to be named, <clears throat> excuse me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and why that would have been so anticipated, why that would have brought so much hope to the people that Isaiah was talking to, whose lives could be described by the phrases that he uses there of fearful gloom and utter darkness. And so uh, this, this, this Messiah that is to come is, is a Messiah that brings hope, and they were looking forward to this Messiah. Now here in 2018, December of 2018, we are on the other side of that promise. That Messiah has come, but we too look forward to a second coming, to another coming of Christ. Right, we, we look forward. We look forward in anticipation. And as I was thinking about that, I was kind of just kind of rethinking about everything that I've said so far and everything that we've talked about so far. That anticipation really changes everything. I mean, you think about how your life changes, how, how everything shifts when there, is a, when there is a sense of hope and anticipation. When you are looking forward to something, everything just seems better and brighter and shinier and it's just the way it is now when 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 we live our lives in anticipation of another coming of jesus christ things change a little bit they have to change a little bit as we look forward to that coming so we looked at anticipation last week we began to look in john in in luke chapter 3 at this this story of john the baptist as he is proclaiming the coming messiah and we talked about preparing the way, a, a way of hope, as he, he is basically saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight his paths. Make straight your paths. Prepare the way he's proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. This is a, this is a proclamation of hope. But he's telling these people to prepare, prepare the way, make straight paths. The Messiah is coming. And so we talked about, is there anything that is making these paths of yours not straight? Is there anything that is kind of making these paths a windy path? Is there anything that is getting in the way of you and Jesus this Advent? Prepare the way of hope. This week, we're going to continue that same story in Luke chapter 3 because uh, John the Baptist is not done talking here. We, we stopped after he quoted Isaiah there. But we're going we're gonna to keep going this morning. And, and Luke chapter 3, if you're in one of our pew Bibles, on page 881. And as you turn, I just want to give you a little bit of, of context as to, to who John is talking to here. <clears throat> and kind of where he's coming from. How, how many of us come from... A family of faith. You could say maybe a, a heritage of faith. Your parents believed. Their parents believed. Their parents believed. I think I'm seeing some, some head nods here. I think 
Some of us could probably put ourselves in that boat. We have a heritage of faith. Uh, you actually, I, I've heard this a lot in, uh, in Nazarene circles. Uh, people will say, I've been a Nazarene for four or five generations now. You know, I'm, I actually fit into that boat. My great-grandma was a pastor in the Nazarene church. Uh, and so I, I come from kind of a history of, of, uh, of Nazarenes, of people who believe <clears throat> But it's, not, it's true of all denominations as well. You hear that about Baptists and all these other denominations as well. I come from I'm a fifth-generation Baptist. I'm a, you know, all these, all these, we, we come, some of us, from, from a heritage of faith, from, from generations and generations before us who believed the same things that we believed and passed it on down to us. The, the people that John is talking to here are, are kind of the same way. There is a, there's a beauty in that. There is a beauty in knowing that our faith is, is passed down. There's a beauty to be able to look back and to see what God has done in our family and how He's provided for us and all that. There's a reason that when you walk into our church from the outside, if you look to the left, you will see kind of a, a heritage wall of how this church has grown and where it has come from. And on the right, you will see plaques of names of people who have come before us and who have, who have passed on their faith to us. Right? We, we celebrate that heritage. And so, so do the people that John is talking to here. See, it seems that, that, that Jews during the day of, of John here did the same thing. They, they thought a lot about the heritage of faith that they had. In fact, they had a name that they called themselves. They would call themselves sons of Abraham or children of Abraham. They, they just had this sense that they had come from a long line of people before them. And there was a, really a sense that, that, that basically that, that assumed identity gave them kind of a straight path into the heart of God. And John is here, and he's kind of speaking into that and speaking against that a little bit, calling them, calling them out of that a little bit. He makes it pretty clear that this assumption is false, that heritage and, and family trees don't qualify anyone for automatic entrance into the kingdom of God. See, they have to live lives, and as we'll see here, John describes the, the lives of faith that people must live. Luke chapter 3 <clears throat> If I say John, it's because I'm talking about John, but I meant Luke. Luke chapter 3, we're going to start right where we left off last week at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the, foot of the, at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? <clears throat> he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is, his, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. <clears throat> I'm going to stop right there this morning. You can see what John is saying here. He's saying your, your heritage isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. Just because you come from the right line of people does not mean you have an automatic inheritance into the kingdom of God. And don't be, and even, he even, I think he throws this line in here just to make sure they understand. God, he says, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See, these people are, are they, their understanding is that back, way back in Genesis 12, Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And here they are, these descendants that are pretty numerous. And they kind of have this mindset of, I'm a descendant, I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham, I'm, I'm in. And here's John who comes and he's kind of, he's preaching to them and he's teaching them and he says, hold on a second, just because you come from this line doesn't mean a thing. God could raise up descendants for Abraham out of these stones right here. Right? There's something more than just the faith that you come from. There's something more than just the line that you come from. You have to bear fruit. And so these people coming from this mindset are hearing what John is saying and they ask him a question. Okay, well then what do we do? What do we do? If this isn't good enough, if it's not good enough just to be a child of Abraham, if it's not good enough just to come from the right line, then man, what do we do? And John basically tells them a lesson that we learned when we were little kids. Share. Share. If you have two coats, give one to someone who doesn't have one. And do the same with food. Be people who are who are generous. And I think this, this answer of, of generosity is a really interesting one. But if you think about it through the lens of, of the hope that John has just brought them this last week, there's a Messiah coming. Prepare the way for him. Make your, make your paths straight. There's a sense of hope. There, there's a Messiah coming. Is it you, John? Hey, I've been asked that. They, they think it might be John. No, it's not me, John says. There's someone coming behind me that, whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. It is not me. You will know. But how do we get ready? Be generous. Remember when I was saying this, and I think probably the reason I was even thinking about this, when I was talking about anticipation changing things. This is one of the ways that the anticipation of hope changes things because we become generous people. We become people who, who are not looking out for, for number one, but we're looking out for the, for the rights and for the, for the livelihoods of others. And these are the kinds of people that, that we become. See, in, in this time, economic inequality was an issue. There were, there were wealthy Romans who lived comfortably, but there were those who, who weren't wealthy or who weren't Romans who didn't live comfortably. Now, there are stories uh, coming out of this time period where, 
where people, these Jewish people, they would, they would have their, their babies and they would leave them on the side of the road by these wealthy Roman people's homes in hopes that their babies would be picked up by one of them, even if it meant being a slave or being a servant, because they would live better lives than what they had. There are stories later on about the early church going around and taking in these babies, which I think is just a a powerful voice of the church. But you can see this this economic inequality, this, this... these hardships that people were going through, there was a sense of you either had it or you didn't have it. And if you didn't have it, you really didn't have it. And you would do anything for your children to be able to be one of the, one of the haves. Right, there, was, there was this sense of these, these choices. They just show that some lived in luxury, others lived in poverty. Slaves and servants were just part of what it meant to build an empire, to build a kingdom. And here comes John, and he's kind of teaching about this new kingdom. He's teaching about another way of life. He's teaching about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Right? John is, is essentially redefining kingdom, and he's saying the kingdom of Rome says to do what it takes to live a wealthy life. Get as much as you can, even if it means taking advantage of other people. And you can see that by what he tells the tax collector and the soldier. Even if it means taking advantage of other people, even if it means going against you know, everything that you feel like is right, if you can get wealthy off of this, you do it. That's what the kingdom of Rome said. The kingdom of God, however, says look out for your neighbor. Look out for your neighbor. If you have more than you need, share. Be generous. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And I'm not really sure that we have to, to stretch too hard to see how difficult what John is saying really is. Because we live in kind of a similar culture. Right, there we, there's, <clears throat> I mean, even just the, the existence of, of sweatshops, for an example, is a great example of what I'm talking about here. People work in, in just awful places for next to nothing so that other people can get a good price. I mean, we're, we're not that far removed from what John is talking about here. But I think the message to us would be the same. Be generous. Share. This, I don't think this kind of a generosity either is as simple or as easy as we'd think. Because as John is talking to these people, he's really presenting something profoundly countercultural. Right? He's He's basically saying you need to go against what the culture is telling you to do. I mean, he tells them to share a coat. He's not asking anyone to go without anything. He's just saying if you have an extra coat, give it away. Give it to someone who doesn't have one. he's, He's basically in this culture of excess where it thinks excess is a good thing and a right thing. He's speaking into that and he's saying we need to share. We need to be generous. We need to care for our neighbors. He speaks directly to the tax collector who were known at the time to kind of collect a little extra and skim off the top so they could kind of build wealth themselves. Again, taking advantage of people so that they might be wealthy. This was the culture of Rome. And he says, don't cheat anyone. Don't cheat anyone. Don't collect any more than you should collect. 
I mean, there's this desire to get ahead, and it's tempting to do what it takes to get more, especially when everyone else is. And so he says to the tax collector, don't cheat people. The soldier comes in. He says, what do we need to do? Don't extort people. Don't use the authority that you have in a way that is going to make people feel bad. Don't, don't use your authority to take advantage of people, he's saying. Right? Just, just do your job. Extorting people for money is easy for those in positions of power and authority. There's a, po- there's a power dynamic there. Makes it easy to take advantage of people when you're in a position of power. John says, don't do that. Just do your job. I mean, for us today, I think it's, it's easy to want more and to hoard and to find shortcuts to get wealthy and to use power to get ahead and we lie on our tax forms to get money or maybe you don't. But while, while we may not cheat or use power to get ahead, I think we probably have more than we need in most circumstances. And John just says, share. See, I think Advent kind of exposes our, our need for a kingdom that pushes us into the hope of generosity. Advent exposes that need, I think. I think the people surrounding John needed hope and something besides material things. They're, they needed to be free from an external desire to hoard in order to, to just so they can love their neighbors well. Right? Life is more about making sure things are right and not so much just about getting ahead. And to make things right, making things right never comes at the expense of others. Making things right, though, might come at your own expense. This is what Advent is all about. I think we need that same hope. I think we need to be reminded that, that we also need more than just Material comfort. Now, if there is any season in our calendar year that is, pushes more material comfort and things than this one, I don't know. But we come in the season of Christmas and we, we hear these words of John the Baptist who is, who is foretelling of the coming Messiah, the Messiah that we come to celebrate here at Christmas time. And he's saying, make, make, prepare the way for him. Make straight these paths for him. It's not enough just that you're a child of Abraham. It's not enough that you come from a heritage of faith. There needs to be fruit, right? There needs to be done. So, so the question, what do we do? I think sometimes we need to ask the same question. What do I do? What does it mean to prepare the way? What does it mean to make a straight path? What, what, what do I do? How do I live? If that's not enough, then what do I do? And I think we struggle with that, particularly during this season. But, but the obsession to get ahead and to keep up with the Joneses is not a new one. And John's speaking against it in the book of Luke. There's always the, this, this culture war between the haves and the have-nots and wanting to, to at least be seen as one of the haves, even if you don't. But during this season of Advent, we come and we remember the the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that we hope for. 
This is the kingdom that we anticipate. And in the kingdom of God, everyone is on level ground. In the kingdom of God, we care for one another. In the kingdom of God, our faith is what drives us. There's a saying that people use when they talk about the kingdom of God. It's that the kingdom of God is already not yet. Follow that? (laughs) The kingdom of God is already not yet. I think there's a reason that John the Baptist comes and he preaches these words, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is represented in the the person of Jesus Christ coming to earth. The kingdom of God is already. But we look forward to the kingdom of God reigning. The kingdom of God where, where inequality and all this kind of stuff is not even a piece of anything. Because in the kingdom of God, we're all on equal footing. In the kingdom of God, we, we worship together and we praise together and we, we live together in unity and love. That kingdom of God, where Jesus reigns, is not yet. The kingdom of God is already not yet. But how do we live out the kingdom of God now? We be generous. We share. I think it's really interesting that this is what John in the book of Luke calls us to do. What, must, what, what do we do? What do we do then, John? That's what people ask him. And he literally just says, share. If you have more than enough, share with those who don't. And I think what happens is when we are generous, when we share this promise that we read last week that John quotes out of the book of Isaiah, and all people will see God's salvation, I think that comes true. As we share and as we are generous, I think the world around us knows that that is not our culture. We are living a profoundly countercultural. We are living in a kingdom that is not of this world. We are living for the kingdom of God. And people see and people wonder and people desire. And what do they see? They see salvation. They see the kingdom of God at work, the kingdom of God already. But we're living for a kingdom not yet. We live in anticipation. See, living this, living this life of hope, in which we are anticipating the coming kingdom, changes things. And one of the ways that it changes things in our own lives is it changes the way that we deal with things. We become more generous people. We become more aware of of what we have and what others don't. We become more aware of our neighbors and the call of God to care for our neighbors to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think if there's any season in our calendar year that causes more confusion and more 
windy path as we talked about last week, and especially in this case, it's this one. But my prayer this week and moving forward as we, as we conclude this season of Advent in the next week or two, that we would be aware of the kingdom to come. And that we would anticipate that kingdom to come. And as we anticipate, it would change things in our own lives. It would become, we'd become people who are generous. People who share. If you have two coats, give to the one who doesn't have any. Don't take advantage of people. Don't take any more than you should, John says to the tax collectors. Don't extort people. Don't use your power wrongly, he says to the soldiers. Share. Be generous. Because of the hope that we have in the coming kingdom. Because of the hope that we have as we look toward the advent, the coming, the second coming. We celebrate the first coming, but we look forward to the second. And as we do, our lives change. Let's be generous people this week. Let's pray.